is the main event. What you gonna do? If you're some man, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. Woo! Yeah! Ooh, yeah. I am the game. Costoco said so. Oh my god! What I'd like to have right now. Rest in peace, Waterrush. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Are you ready? Everyone has a price. Yeah, I've come here to fight. Sandy innovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Introducing your old school pro wrestling nostalgia podcast, Beyond the Bell. Welcome back, old school fans, video gamers as well, to the show that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things nostalgia and old school in the world of professional wrestling. This is Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network. I'm your video gaming host, Sean Beckerman, back with you to cover this week the history of professional wrestling video gaming we relive the impact sports entertainment played in video gaming and how video games evolved over the years in the world of wrestling this edition comes in celebration of the first phase of releases for wwe 2k15 as it's being distributed for xbox 360 and ps3 and then phase two in november it'll be released for ps4 and Xbox One, which I cannot wait for. So in spirit of the releases, we wanted to go back to relive the history of video gaming for professional wrestling. And tonight we'll cover part one from the beginning, the late 70s, early 80s, through the Monday Night War era of video gaming. And then part two will cover post-Monday Night War, post-WCW, and on, and more geared towards just WWE video gaming, but tonight we cover all video games and those that led to the evolution of what we see today in WWE 2K15. I am so excited to relive the games from my childhood since birth and forward through the late 90s here on Beyond the Bell. So we have so much to talk about tonight. We'll get right to it after this quick break. We'll cover the beginning of video gaming in professional wrestling. We cover the 8-bit era right after this quick timeout. fan of wrestling shoot DVDs, wrestling action figures, wrestling memorabilia? The SNS Radio Network is an affiliate of HighSpots.com. So when you go to the SNS Radio Network site, click on the High Spots banner on the main page, and it takes you directly to High Spots. Now, I'm not saying you need to buy something from HighSpots.com, but if you do, you're helping to support the SNS Radio Network by going through High Spots on the link on the SNS Radio Network page. And every purchase gives a kickback to the SNS Radio Network, helping us keep all the programming here free. 
for you. Old school fans, the battle lines have been drawn. Beyond the Belt presents the Monday Night War, the rivalry between WWF Monday Night Raw and WCW Monday Nitro. This five-part series takes you through the history of the Monday Night War from the inaugural battle to the historic simulcast. This edition covers it all. Relive the greatest moments and superstars of the war. So buckle up and prepare for war on Beyond the Bell as we present the Monday Night War. Exclusively on the SNS Radio Network and btbcast.com. Every week was a battle. Come get on the Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Brian Williams, senior game designer at 2K Sports, and you're listening to SNS Radio Network with my man. Professional wrestling cut a line distinction between sports and entertainment, athletes and superheroes. As concept goes, McMahon's World Wrestling Federation arrived on the scene ready-made for a video game adaptation. It didn't take long for gaming to pump into the squared circle with both feet, dive right in, and of course, bring a steel chair with it, why don't you? Video gaming's 8-bit era coincided with the rise of the World Wrestling Federation's Mania era, but the first wrestling game completely ignored Mr. McMahon's fast-growing promotion. Instead, future Double Dragon developer Technos Japan pitted the strong bads against the Ricky Fighters for Arcade Wrestling's actioneer Big Pro Wrestling in 1983. This was a groundbreaking game. Grapples, throws, slams, and out-of-the-ring brawling were all represented. Three years later, it was ported to the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES. Your original Nintendo, my favorite, Legend of Zelda, Super Mario. When it was ported to the NES, it was known as Tag Team Pro Wrestling. And the reviews were quite awful for that one. The next year, Sega improved slightly on Tag Team's two-frame animations with Apua. In 1984, a Japan-only release featuring wrestlers H. Hogan, A. Giants, and other thinly-veiled WWF superstars, minus any licensing fees. It also featured Tiger Mask. Technos followed suit and vastly improved on their previous game with coin-op gem Matt Mania. Then added two-player verse mode in its Mania Challenge sequel. Then there was Mike Gibson's Master Wrestling for Commodore 64. That as well was released in 1984. The wrestlers were all walking blobs and were all one solid color. It did offer a variety of moves like a headlock, airplane spin, and some others. They hardly resembled these moves when done, though, but once in a while, a guy in a wheelchair 
would even roll by the ring. No one had an idea why. What would make this game important, though, is, is the fact that it's the first wrestling game, the first wrestling video game to appear on a home system. Matt Mania by Taito was released in 1985, and this would be the start of cooler wrestling games, you can say. Fans wasted endless amounts of quarters on this game at the arcade. Matt Mania had considerably advanced graphics at this time. It also had a ton of cool moves you can pull off, you know, like the lights of lariats and DDTs. This was also the first game that featured the option to jump off the top rope. It wasn't licensed, though, so we could get cheap knockoffs of real wrestlers. In this game, we had the Golden Hulk, Coco Savage, and the Karate Fighter, just to name a few. Then there was Muscle, M-U-S-C-L-E Wrestling, made by Bandai in 1986. An officially licensed wrestling game wouldn't release until 1986, pulling its weirdly alien cast, not from the flashy muscle man working for Mr. McMahon, but from Muscle, a localized version of Dragon Ball-ish anime style. You know, neither the gameplay nor the characters translated well, though. Anyone remember? Anyone can remember that, you know, in the 1980s, Muscle or Muscles were these little pink rubber wrestlers that were sold in multi-packs. They were a, a big variety of wacky wrestlers, you know, that were non-stop fun. It was cool for an 80s kid to play with, of course. You could even buy wrestling rings and accessories with it. You know, they also became po- popular because it would spawn a really bad wrestling game. This popularity, or... This was probably one of the worst games made for the NES. The graphics were just as awful as the gameplay. The game didn't introduce basic physics for wrestling games, so in a, in, in a sense, it, it did accomplish something. This was probably one of the worst games made for the NES. The graphics were just as awful as the gameplay. The game, however, did introduce basic physics for wrestling games, so in a sense, it did accomplish something. Early wrestling games did a lot better better when they did their own thing. Two more titles hit in 1986, both brought something new and exciting to the genre, and both were called Pro Wrestling. On the Sega Master System, Pro Wrestling was a super deformed tag team mashup, mixing up grapples and knee drops, suplexes and aerial moves. More importantly though, it introduced an elementary heel face system to determine which teams could and could not fight each other. Determined by another early innovation, optional in-ring weapons. Heel teams could pick up steel chairs, long regarded as basic wrestling equipment, of course, and smack the opponent around the head, smack their opposition all around with them. Faces merely bank points for grabbing the furniture first. Sega's version would probably be more appreciated and better remembered if its namesake hadn't become one of the most beloved games on the NES. Nintendo's Pro Wrestling didn't bring the thunder like the you know the other NES cards did, but it you know it did give a memorable set of wrestlers, each with their own techniques, their special moves, and combo button strikes. Players not only won their title belt but defended it as or from King Slender, Starman, Fighter Hayabusa, Fishman the Amazon, and finally the Ultimate Fighter, Great Puma for the Ultimate Video Wrestling Association Championship, unique for its time. Players spent hours pile-driving, plancha-diving, and pinning each other in tournaments, and then went 
back for seconds. Then thirds. The moves were easy to pull off, and they looked good when you did them. You would have to fight your way all the way to the top to become champ, and what a fun fight it was. It was far from flawless, okay, let's add that, but cheap power-slamming moves abounded. The, The standard roundhouse kick was nearly undefeatable in the game. It was far from flawless, however. One loss could set a player's progress back hours. Finally, gamers had a wrestling game that they could take seriously, though. But after... After years of pseudonames littering the sport, the heavy-hitting A-team was about to go on the card. This would lead us to Intergalactic Cage Match by Mastertronic in 1987. What do you get when you combine things like dinosaurs, bugs, monsters, and Vikings, and then throw them in a steel cage? The pure absurdity and awfulness, right? Awfulness, I said it. This game was horrible in every aspect. The graphics were lousy, and the gameplay was even worse. It was the first wrestling video game that let you duke it out in a steel cage. That alone makes it groundbreaking. Then there was Micro League Wrestling by Subway Software the same year in 87. This game was groundbreaking for a few major reasons. Not only was this the first ever licensed wrestling game to break the market, but it was also the first ever strategy wrestling game to hit the market as well. I'm also pretty sure that it was the last one to do so. On one side of the floppy disk, you had Hogan vs. Savage. On the other side, you had Hogan vs. Orndorff. It was also the first wrestling game to use digitized footage to give it that your in-your-face feeling. It was very innovative for its time, but it was a very bad game overall. A few other wrestling titles filtered out through the next few years. Uh, Konami's The Main Event and Sega's Robo Wrestling 2001 were among them, but most faded fast. Let's talk about The Main Event by Konami. This was one of the coolest arcade games at the time. It featured cutting-edge graphics with the option of having one to four players. The lines at the arcade would have often be long for this one as well. This was packed. The action was fast and simple in this game. You also had a choice of 12 wrestlers, which was a lot at the time. Like most wrestling games, the models were knockoffs of WWF superstars. Just use your imagination, of course. Then there were Sergeant Slaughter's Mat Wars by Mindscape in 1988. This popular title for the Commodore computer featured none other than Sergeant Slaughter. The graphics and physics were okay on this game. All the characters were done with a tongue-in-cheek feel to them. You know What made this game very unique were the different options you had when you played it. You could buy and sell wrestlers, actually, have them do jobs, and gamble on the matches, actually. Considering how they were still trying to keep the business kayfabe at this point, this was very groundbreaking. Body Slam Super Pro for Intellivision, same year in 88, produced a game in which the graphics were terrible and the only thing remotely groundbreaking was that it featured the ugliest Ring Girl gamers had ever seen. Part of the problem was that by 1988, wrestling fans had their favorites all picked out. They knew the WWF inside and out, religiously followed the damage week to week, and they just weren't seeing their draws on any console. That changed when Acclaim, this was when really it hit me in terms of wrestling and video gaming, when Acclaim presented 
WWF WrestleMania for NES, the first licensed game to feature real wrestlers by name. Now watch me wish the Macho Man with the claims WrestleMania for the Nintendo Entertainment System. A leg drop, an elbow smash, a body slam! WWF WrestleMania from a claim. Oh, yeah, I want a rematch. Hulk Hogan himself performed his signature shirt-ripping move on the cover. The Honky Tonk Man, Andre the Giant, Macho Man Randy Savage, and the Million Dollar Man Teddy Biasi joined the Hulkster inside the box. The graphics were pretty good for the times. The gameplay was okay at best. At a time, though, it was the only game you could play as your favorite wrestler. You had your choice of the Hulkster, Savage, Honky Tonk Man, Bam Bam Bigelow, and more. Moves and spots were still basic. Character designs were still semi-recognizable blocks, fitting their color schemes, their gimmicks and finishers as well. They were, some in some aspects, you could say they were absent, but you can kind of tell they were the wrestlers, if that makes sense. It was all close enough. WWF WrestleMania had the WWF personality as well and that got it over every other wrestling game before it a monster franchise was born in the ring in the air out of control hey, you know your wrestlemania from nes eight men mayhem did you see that hulkamania brother jews from six superstars unbelievable combat no holds barred anything goes action it's a slugfest two wrestlers in the ring brother kick from anywhere total chaos punch in two directions complete mayhem run at your opponent amazing spit a This set the stage for wrestling video gaming, specifically for the World Wrestling Federation, and now, of course, for wrestling in general, looking at it at this point. Going forward, this was the standard bearer. Technos got back into it with two popular arcade games, WWF Superstars in 1989 and WWF WrestleFest in 1991. That pushed past WrestleMania in every way. Everyone remembers those two. The roster bumped up to include the Big Boss Man and the Ultimate Warrior, and then added Jake the Snake Roberts, Sergeant Slaughter, and Mr. Perfect. Everyone looked like they fought exactly the way they were supposed to. Royal Rumble modes and cage matches entered the picture. This was groundbreaking. I was so stoked. The Big Blue Bar Cage and Royal Rumbles. This was innovative for its time. No one ever saw this before. Grapples now folded into throws, ring throws, headlocks, slams, suplexes, turnbuckle attacks, Irish whips, running attacks, running counterattacks, weaponry, tag team matches, and out of the ring slugfests all went in. Body slams that would put Hacksaw Jim Duggan on his can wouldn't even phase the much bigger Andre the Giant, but Andre was low on aerial attacks. This would be more innovative than some of the future video games in terms of body size and body size and move relation and move sets. Pure physics. Only a few wrestlers got submission holds, while others moved much faster. Some would even try to top it if they took too much punishment, opening themselves up for an even bigger beating. The frequent six-man rumbles were punishing, entertaining, which was very, very entertainingly rare. For the early 90s. Since being the first licensed WWF arcade game, WWF Superstars was not only very well done graphics wise, but the same gameplay was pretty good as well. It featured not only multiplayer options, but it introduced the concept of using foreign objects, 
which is now a, an industry standard, of course. This game would set new standards for future wrestling games. It would also be the last game made in the 80s. This was wrestling. Unfortunately, Technos left the genre after WrestleFest and folded entirely in 1986. Now we fast forward, we'll talk about it on part two, but WrestleFest was brought back for all of the, on the iOS systems and uh, mobile devices to play. And you could play as current stars. It, WrestleFest, I suggest going back to play it. A great game. Meanwhile, the WWF's real-world competition edged into gaming with Hot Shot 1990 release WCW Wrestling, featuring the Road Warriors, their star tag team on the cover. It didn't impress. Of course, I ran, ran out and got it right away, right away because it was a wrestling game. Of course, I was going to jump on it. WCW Wrestling was simply a model swap of a year-old Japanese game, Superstar Pro Wrestling. Not a bad game, per se. This would be the first entry of WCW Wrestling that would be brought to a console. The game itself was pretty decent as far as gameplay. This game would also offer many different types of gameplay. You could play as a singles or tag mode. In the singles mode, you had three different titles you can go after. The game had the who's who of WCW wrestling at the time. You had Flair, Sting, the Road Warriors, Ricky Steamboat, just to name a few. This game would stand out in a couple of other ways, though. It would be the first menu-based system that lets you pick your move. It was also the first game to make the use of finishing moves as a feature. Key point. Fans were not fooled, though. Dusty Rhodes, Sting, Nature Boy Ric Flair, Rick Rude, Vader, and the rest of WSW had to wait until 1994 for another shot. And that was blown, too. The Super Nintendo Entertainment System gave all kinds of opportunities. But WCW Super Brawl Wrestling stuck with choppy graphics on an outdated isometric layout and threw in poor controls as an unneeded and unwarranted bonus. More noteworthy, though, Tecmo World Wrestling followed Tecmo Bowl's success without matching it. Though it did add reverses to the holds, color commentators, and a strange training mode run by a female taskmaster, fans wanted more. Tecmo World Wrestling would be the first and only wrestling game made by the company. That's not to say that it was a bad game. It had nice, smooth style of play, made it enjoyable in a sense. You had to choose from 10 generic wrestlers, as it wasn't licensed, of course. You could change their names, though. That's that, That's a key. I don't mind. I wish they would make a game today. You could edit everything, throw out a wrestling game, and make it all create a wrestler, create an arena, just make it a blank canvas. I would love to see that. So, really, if it was important to be Hogan, you could. This game was cool in a couple different ways. What made it really stand out, though, would be the extensive use of the commentator in the console game. That's why I'm repeating it, because before, it was absent. You'd hear fans, music, you know, the generic video game wrestling music. But now having a commentator, that made it innovative. Set a new bar for video gaming. Then there was HAL Wrestling. HAL Wrestling for, in 1990 for the Game Boy. This, the biggest problem was the graphics for this one. Not only were they cheesy, even for 1990, to make matters worse, the game was glitchy. You could be in the middle of a move, and your opponent would just disappear. There were only two modes you could play, and both were short. 
It was one of the first Game Boy wrestling games. It also just happened to be made by the people that would bring you the Fire Pro Gaming series. This was in its early form, of course, but if you play it, there is no mistaking the gameplay. You see where the game engine came from. This was the infant to the super adult superstar that the Fire Pro series would be. We'll talk about that. Wrestle War 1991 for Sega. It had decent graphics for its time, and the gameplay was decent as well. What makes this a funny game was the striking resemblance to other people. One guy looked just like Jason Voorhees, Friday the 13th. You also had a cheap knockoff of Road Warrior, uh, you know, of a Road Warrior, I should say, and Hulk Hogan. It was one of the better wrestling games that were put out for the Genesis. As an arcade game, though, it was outdated. That would bring us to 1992 and WWF WrestleMania Challenge. At this point in time, NES was on its way out the door. This would put out, well, I should say they would put out other ones, though. WrestleMania Challenge wound up being one of them. It had a unique diamond view of the ring, the first of its kind. This threw me for a loop, having that diamond look to it just caught me off guard because you used to that television presentation and every video game had that viewpoint and having now the diamond look as the file pro games would take on it was different and unique for its time but it just threw me off but the wrestlers were nicely done and sort of resembled their real life counterparts this was the fun part of the game the game would play the wrestlers music of whoever was in the ring and if a wrestler tagged out his partner's music would play that wrestler's music it was great. I loved it. Hearing the music just go back and forth. Because there you had heard wrestling theme music on video games while you're playing. That was so awesome to me. This game featured some finishers for some of the wrestlers, but not all, though. The game also had a nice variety of modes at the time. Singles, singles championship, tag team, tag team championship, and survivor series, which was three-on-three -three elimination for this game, not four-on-four. -four. Even to this day, it's like pulling teeth to get a four-on-four -four Survivor Series elimination match. Easy for me to say. The game also featured nine wrestlers. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Big Boss Man, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, Macho King Randy Savage, yeah, and Ravishing Rick Rude. Plus, a fake wrestler labeled as Yourself. I remember, I remember that classic. This was one good wrestling game for the NES. A few more wrestlers would have been nice, but there are plenty of moves for each wrestler, though. A good, solid game. This would springboard to WrestleMania Steel Cage in 1992 for NES. This game was also released within the same year, piggybacking off of the WrestleMania name. Other than being able to fight in a steel cage, this game was not that great. The graphics were okay as far as the cage and the ring. The problem was the wrestlers were goofy looking. To make matters worse, the controls were bad too. The one thing I can say positive about the game was that the roster was solid. This is where you saw an increase in the depth of the roster and advancements being displayed from game to game in terms of wrestler and the availability of superstars. You had guys and superstars like Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, IRS, Erwin R. Scheister, Ted DiBiase, Jake the Stink Roberts, Roddy Piper, Bret Hart, Sid Justice, The Undertaker, and The Mountie. This game was like the WrestleMania game from 1988. What I took from this game was the theme music. 
I couldn't wait to hear the Mountie song. I was dying for that song. Of course, I was a member at this time of the WWF Fan Club. And when you were a member of the Fan Club, they give you your card, which I still have, with with my crayon, of course. And then they give you which I could. That was this was the prize was the cassette tape with about four to five songs on each side, the A and B side of wrestlers' themes. And the one thing that frustrated me about it was the themes blended into one another, and they were only a minute to two-minute clips. So you kind of had to time it just right to play the songs for each wrestler, which I used for my action figures to come out to the ring. That's a whole other story, whole other therapy session for you guys. But one of the songs I wanted was the Mountie song. So I took, I had my microphone plugged into my cassette recorder, put the microphone to the speaker, Play the Mountie song off of the video game, off of WrestleMania Steel Cage 1992 for NES, and recorded the Mountie song. And I recorded a lot of themes and played their video game style themes as their theme coming to the ring with their action with their with their respective action figure. I must add, this is a, a professional organization. The Awesome Wrestling Association was high class entertainment, folks. All right, let's move on. WWF Super WrestleMania also was in 1992, a popular year, piggybacking off of the WrestleMania franchises, this time making WrestleMania Super. When this first came out, this was the hottest game in town. The main reason being that it was the first 16-bit wrestling game for Nintendo. Like most games from the past, it didn't age well. You only had a few choices to play on this game. You had one-on-one. You know, singles, tag, and Survivor Series. The controls were very basic, so after a while the game, you know, the gameplay got very boring. This would be the first game to ever come out for the Super Nintendo. Then there was Saturday Night Slam Master, the arcade game in 1993. In the 90s, arcade wrestling games were in short supply. So when Saturday Night Slam Masters came through, it was a huge hit. While this was a wrestling game, this played out more like a fighting game. You had a three-button attack, which made the game fast and easy to pick up. Like most other fighting or wrestling games, you have to climb your way through the ranks. This, the game strength would be its, you know, it'd really be in its multiplayer modes, though. Then we bring on WWF King of the Ring. This would be the last wrestling game ever to grace the Nintendo Entertainment System. Sadly, it would die a slow, lonely death. The gameplay, the graphics, and just about everything else in the game was not that great. Some would say even awful. They added the King of the Ring feature, which was nice and different, but even that was messed up. But if you're ever looking for a fun retro game to play, I would still say (laughs) to stay away from this one. This was an advancement by adding another element the King of the Rings side, not done that well, but at least it made it available for future gaming. That would bring us to WWF Royal Rumble in 1994. This was an awesome game. Spectacular. Not only were the graphics vastly improved upon, but the gameplay was just as awesome. Just as sweet. You could use weapons, rake someone's eyes, all that, all that fun stuff to do. Stuff that wasn't basic, just a body slam or an elbow or a pinfall. Different. Made it more realistic, in a way. You were even able to throw someone off the top of the cage. What would make this game special was the split roster each system had. 
this was frustrating if you were a fan of one system as opposed to the other. Like I was, uh, I was for a time away from Nintendo during the Super Nintendo age, and I got to the Sega bandwagon. WWF Royal Rumble from Acclaim. Now on Genesis with more wrestling superstars and more specialty moves than ever before. Sixteen Mike Mayhem, incredible six men of the ring action in the ring, out of the ring, out of control. WWF Royal Rumble on Super NES and now on Genesis. Get ready to rumble. On the SNES, you had Tatanka, Flair, DiBiase, and Yokozuna. And on the Genesis, which I had, you would have Papa Shango, Hulk Hogan, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, IRS, and Rick Martel. I wanted them all. WWF Royal Rumble on Super NES. Incredible 16-meg action. Coming June 8th. It's perfect. WWF Royal Rumble on Super NES. Perfect. Then you had WWF Raw in 1994 as a Genesis exclusive. This is where me being a Genesis guy at that time went, ha ha, Simpsons fans, you understand. Promise I'll try not to do that again. But all in all, it was a very solid game. The graphics were crisp and more realistic looking at the time. This played much more like an arcade game than anything else. You could use weapons, which were a standard at this point, and the one noticeable difference was this game had different sets of moves for each wrestler. It also had the feature where you would build up the wrestler's meter so you can do a power move. WWF Raw is War. WCW Super Brawl for SNES and Sega Genesis were released in 1994. This would be WCW's second major licensed game for the home console. This game had its good and bads. You know, had some positives, had some negatives. As far as the graphics went, they were decent enough. The ring looked decent with a unique diamond view, just like we mentioned previously, for another WWE video game. The wrestlers were and they were animated pretty well, and they looked like their real-life counterparts somewhat. The wrestler selection was awesome. It had all WCW's big names. As far as controls go, it would definitely not be the game's strong point. Some found the controls, like me too, hard at first to figure out. But after a while, you picked them up, but the game quickly became a button masher. All in all, the game was average. But it did have some good qualities to it. Then... WWF WrestleMania, the arcade game, was released in 1995. This was one of the last really great arcade wrestling games. The characters were made a good size, and they had lots of detail. They were also nice and colorful, and looked real. At that point, I thought there were this was the closest you can get to actual you know in-ring talent, what they looked like. The ring was pretty good, as were the various weapons and attacks the characters used. You could play as Doink the Clown, Bam Bam Bigelow, Yokozuna, and The Undertaker. Not to mention, let's throw in Razor Ramon, Lex Luger, Shawn Michaels, and Bret Hart. Each character had their own weapon, which was cool, so you had three modes to choose from. You could play for the Intercontinental title, the WWF World Heavyweight Championship, or if you play with a friend, you can go for the tag team titles. 
this was innovative as it had it kind of mirrored the Mortal Kombat style games in Street Fighter as they would pull out their theme moves. You know, Doink the Clown, his theme moves, and Undertaker's grab the tombstone out. So Yokozuna, you know, the bonsai drop. So they were more over the top and animated kind of similar to another game we'll talk about in part two that was released a couple of years ago, but this would mirror more of the fighting style games rather than a pure wrestling game. But the way it looked was great, and each arena would look different and uh, kind of popped out more than your other typical proto- your other prototypical wrestling games. Listen, when the hitman starts something, he does it right the first time. You know, I just didn't want to walk into this thing cold. You know, you have to prepare. You have to do your homework. I started with the basics. Before you get a project like this, you really have to know the ropes. I started with hands-on experience, step by step, till I knew how an entire game came together. For weeks, I worked on every possible task. After studying the industry, I was ready to go to work. But first things first, you know, if you want to survive in today's corporate jungle, well, you have to look the part. My first challenge was to educate everybody here about the science of WWF wrestling. The next step was to roll up our sleeves and really get to work. For this, we required the help of the biggest names in the World Wrestling Federation, including Yokozuna, The Undertaker, and lots more. All the top guys doing their biggest and baddest moves. And all your people out there, yes, you public people out there, we issue you a challenge. Anyone that can beat us in this beautiful game. <laughs> then it was time to get really busy. Working with artists and programmers, we crammed all the WWF energy into a video game that's more exciting and real than anything you've ever seen. Come on, you guys. There it is, right there in front of you the whole time. You're dereferencing a Mel Pointer. Open your eyes. Good sound is key to a great game. Is that all right? Just like that, but punch it up with a little more bass. Now that's how you build a game. Then there was Royal Pro Wrestling in 1996 for 3DO. This was a 2D game, and it was a major hit in Japan. We had to include that one. But then also in 1996, you had WWF in your house for the original PlayStation PS1. This was the first game for the PS for the PlayStation PS1. So to say this game was odd would be quite a bit of an understatement. It was a 2D game to where you had to pick your wrestler and either go for the heavyweight or IC title. You had a decent selection of wrestlers like the Ultimate Warrior, Bret Hart, and The Undertaker, just to name a few that were on the game. This game was a straight-up button masher, no doubt about it. The weird thing about this game was the wrestler you picked could throw projectiles at you. If you picked The Undertaker, he would throw goofy skulls at you. You had Vince McMahon and Mr. Perfect on commentary. They would just repeat the same things match after match after match. But when we enter the mid-90s, wrestling gamers received new standards to live or play by. The Fire Pro Wrestling Series began innocently enough on the PC Engine, like we mentioned, in 1989. 
and largely flew under the radar for 17 games in seven years. The 18th was Super Fire Pro Wrestling X or 10 Premium, and it wasn't anything close to innocent. It played the old real wrestler fake name games to legally infringe copyrights. It also included an extensive character editor that let players build up and save up to 80 additional fighters of their own, thus creating the largest roster ever in a video game. Then, after several no-sells, WCW caught up to the adults in every way. Newly formed Aki Corporation, a developer fully dedicated to wrestling gaming and nothing but, he took the license and produced four brawlers in 1997 alone, two of which were WCW branded. The infamous WCW versus the world took a strong step towards 3D gaming on the PlayStation without putting a solid game behind it. But WCW's defining New World Order storyline energized the wrestling world and became the basis for WCW vs. NWO World Tour over on the Nintendo 64, a full 3D brawler. It's WCW versus NWO World Tour. GamePro calls it one of the fall's hottest titles. Game Informer says it's the end-all, be-all of wrestling. Featuring over 20 of WCW's and NWO's top wrestlers. A four-player battle royal mode. And up to 40 moves per wrestler, including signature moves and foreign objects. All on Nintendo 64. Call now. 1-800-WCW-8661. Or send $69.95 to the address on your screen. Also available wherever video games Sold. That angle clicked big time with video gamers and the mainstream wrestling media alike. This game was a hit. This was as close to gameplay and realistic in-ring wrestling as you can get. World Tour was just as revolutionary as the NWO storyline it borrowed. All the moves built off holds instead of happening out of nowhere. Hunts were added for the first time and a spirit gauge replaced simple health bars, allowing for crowd-pleasing superhuman comebacks. Suddenly, wrestling was all about the grapple again and players loved it. The updated roster, including Hulk's turn to Hollywood Hogan, Kevin Ash, fresh off shedding his Diesel character, Rey Mysterio Jr., and of course, Eric Bischoff, led to some truly awesome gaming, even if their movesets were a little off. Also included a heavy roster of quote-unquote fake wrestlers. In fact, real fighters from Japanese promotions built for, for that country's localized port of the game. Just changing the names a bit. Virtual Pro Wrestling for the Nintendo 64 was the kind of counterpart to this system. Ironically, for World Tour, their names were changed to avoid copyright issues. Wrestling games backslid badly the next year with WCW Nitro. But between Super Fire Pro Wrestling and World Tours, new mechanics and cutting-edge graphics, wrestling games had gone to a new plateau. So you could just throw WCW Nitro out the window there. A waste of a game. They weren't niche games for diehard fans anymore. They were more for anybody who appreciated a great video game. With my group of friends I would hang out with, maybe one was a wrestling fan that I was really close with, but the group of guys I was with, they didn't like wrestling. And we always played video games. At this point, we loved playing, you know, um, GoldenEye, James Bond, 007. We'd all play a different character to try to take each other out during the shoot-up mode. None of them wanted to play uh, wrestling games with me. 
but this was until World Tour came out and actually had a few friends that wanted to play, and we actually got a tournament going. It was that good. WWF titles had taken somewhat of a backseat since 1994's Raw, their 16-bit swan song, but memorable only for showcasing Doink the Clown and the late great Owen Hart. WWF In Your House, like I said, featured Brett and Owen Hart and the first game appearance of Triple H in a series of, you know, unimpressive non-ring home invasion fights. Midway's WWF WrestleMania, the arcade game, looked and played more like Mortal Kombat, like I mentioned, with magical powers rather than wrestling maneuvers. Somewhat poor distributions. The WWF's comeback had to include a quantum leap over anything they had done before. It did so, and it was called WWF Warzone. And while it didn't innovate like, you know, Super Fire Pro Wrestling or World Tour did, it took those innovations and refined them to a sharp edge and tightening up the controls to a shocking degree. This would be the forerunner for the future series of gamings we'd see going forward. Warzone boasted arguably one of the top rosters in wrestling history. Headlined by the Rattlesnake himself, Stone Cold Steve Austin, right behind him were Triple H, Owen Hart, Kane, Mankind, as well as the other two faces of Foley, Cactus Jack and Dude Love, Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, Goldust, The British Bulldog, Ahmed Johnson, and Ken Shamrock some of whom bolted the Federation by the time Warzone even came out. And finally, The Rock had come to video gaming. Finally. More than anything, Warzone captured the WWF personality cold. Each wrestler recorded full motion video sequences, and everyone's entrance music was included. This is what we wanted. That's the one thing that lacked from WCW's video games. Though only a few seconds played in the game, it was still different, and wanted by the video game base. There was no shortage of sharpshooters, stunners, and mandible claws, minus Mr. Sacco, however, who, were, who arrived on the scene much later, in which we'd see in future gaming. The WSW replied with WSW NWO Revenge, expanding their own iconic roster, now including managers with WWF former superstars like Bret Hart and Roddy Piper, and its own homegrown champion Goldberg plus authentic venues and style to burn. Released in 1998, Warzone and Revenge were clear comebacks. And like most comebacks in wrestling, they were short-lived. And as we were going through the Monday Night War, there was also a war in video gaming. And as we'll discuss in part two of the history of video gaming, the WWF would take the THQ license away from WCW as they would go out of business, as we all know, after losing the Monday Night War. And video gaming would take a whole new turn as the WWF became WWE and took full control of North American professional wrestling and expanded worldwide. And video gaming would never be the same going forward. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. Hey guys, it's me, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson. Are you feeling down in the dumps because you live outside the United States and maybe you can't get the WWE Network? Maybe you'd like to watch Netflix from the American region. But since you're in another country, it doesn't work for you? Well, I've got the solution for you. 
The SNS Radio Network is recently affiliated with UnblockUs.com. If you go to the SNS Radio Network page and click the UnblockUs.com banner ad, you can sign up to get a VPN. Not sure what a VPN is? Well, it basically protects your identity online. Basically, it gives you an address online where the content you want becomes available. Here's how it works. When you click the link on the SNS Radio Network banner, it takes you to unblockus.com. And from that link, you can sign up for a free one-week trial. If you decide to sign up afterward, it's only $4.99 a month. And when you think about it, that's great savings. $4.99 a month allows you to watch American Netflix or any region of Netflix that you'd like to watch. And here's the biggie, folks. If you don't have the WWE Network, you live in the UK, you live in another country outside the United States, unblockus.com can set you up for $4.99 a month with a VPN that will allow you to have access to the WWE Network and all regions of Netflix. And you can watch it on your PS3, your Xbox 360, any device you have, you're able to use with unblockus.com. And the best part about it is, I'm not just talking about this, I'm using this service myself. So once again, go to the SNS Radio Network, click on the Unblock Us banner, and from there, sign up. And if you do that, you help to support the SNS Radio Network as they give a kickback to us to help keep all the shows on the SNS Radio Network for free. Once again, unblockus.com, giving you freedom online. No trained, say your prayers, and ate your vitamins, then you'll love the Hulkamania Chronicles. Sean Beckerman, host of Beyond the Bell, your pro wrestling nostalgia podcast, breaks down the history and career of the legendary Hall of Famer, the immortal Hulk Hogan. Each edition covers a different era in the history of the Hulkster as we relive our childhood hero. From the beginning of Hulkamania in the mid-80s and the birth of WrestleMania through the challenging times of the steroid trial all the way to his jump to WCW and the formation of Hollywood Hogan and the New World Order and then his return to the WWF leading in to the Hall of Fame. This edition covers it all. You can catch the Hulkamania Chronicles exclusively on Beyond the Bell here on the SNS Radio Network, brother.
school fans, thank you so much for taking this trip back in time with me to relive our favorite and not-so-favorite wrestling games from the 80s and 90s. I, I presume that a lot of what I discussed brings back a lot of memories for you fans from your childhood. Most, I think, a lot of people, most of our listeners are very similar in age, give or take. So a lot of you, it was probably, probably taking you back to your childhood in the 80s. Some of you going back to relive video gaming that you didn't even experience. You, you came later than the early stages of video gaming. But I'm glad that we were able to archive and relive the history and the evolution of professional wrestling video gaming here on Beyond the Bell. Before we ride off in the sunset, like good old Stone Cold Steve Austin would say... We'll take you to our promo of the week. And most of what we discussed this week involved the 1980s and the evolution of the WWF and video gaming through the 80s, the rock and wrestling connection, and the presence of Hulkamania. Therefore, in spirit of reliving the 80s and the 8-bit era, even the 16-bit era, and 2D gaming here on Beyond the Bell, I thought we'd go back to one of the classic 1980s Hulk Hogan promos. Courtesy of Saturday night's main event, let's take you back to the immoral Hulk Hogan laying down the law, brother. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we got a taste of it a little earlier on here on Saturday night's main event when the madness met the mania. I am talking about Macho Madness and Hulkamania, two mega powers beating here tonight. Hulk Hogan, what is happening? Well, you know me, Gene, we really don't know what we're dealing with here, man. And I'm just kind of a little worried about locking up here. It's all right. Because we just might blow the whole planet up, you know. Everybody knows that Hulkamania is the strongest force in this universe. But when I hit that ring and I saw what the madness was all about, I realized there was a whole nother universe out there, a whole nother frontier, and the power of the madness and the mania just blew my 24 guns out, man. You mean to tell me there is another solar system, Macho oh, Man? Unbelievable. I'm still in a state of shock right now. In fact, I don't think I'm going to be coming down for a long period of time. Yeah, reckless abandon is what I used to be. Yeah, but Elizabeth opened up my eyes and the big man right here, the big man, yeah, he endorsed Macho Man this and he gave me direction. Yeah. Reckless abandon used to be, but direction now with the mega, yeah, the mega, yeah, the mega powers, yeah, mega powers, yeah. I feel the power now. I feel the power right there, big man. Yeah, hit over the head, Macho Man. Oh no, man, I'm all right. I've never been better. Yeah, don't you worry about the hit over the head, man. I'm just worried about where we're going from here. Is it this stratosphere, man? Is it the ionosphere with the madness? And the mania as one guiding force, we could go ahead and take the whole I w- cannot believe this no, Saturday no, 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 happened here on Saturday night's main event. The mega powers, the madness, Macho Man Randy Savage, and the heavyweight champion and Hulkamania. Well, fans, it's time to take it home with our old school theme of the week. Remember. Download all of the archive shows at btbcast.com as well as listen to us live, streaming live at snsradionetwork.com. 
Don't forget to catch This Day in Wrestling History on Unplugged each and every week, Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as we relive This Day in Wrestling History. So we're going to take it home this week with, of course, old school music, and I mentioned it earlier, a theme I could not wait to record onto my cassette tape via my speakers and my microphone held directly into the speakers was the Mounties theme from WWF WrestleMania from the Nintendo Entertainment System. That 8-bit music, you gotta love it. So we'll take it home with one of my favorite themes I could not wait to record. You can sing along. I'm the Mountie. I, I demand you sing along to this song as we wrap up Beyond the Bell. So fans, until next week as we will cover our Halloween special. Since it's Halloween time, we have our marathon week for Beyond the Bell. Tune in to SNSRadioNetwork.com right around Halloween time as we're going to have a marathon of Beyond the Bell episodes, scary stars, scariest music, and the history of Halloween Havoc. Back to back to back to back episodes of Beyond the Bell on the live stream as well as they'll be re-archived, re-upped on the feed at SNSRadioNetwork.com. Stay tuned for those Halloween episodes and the brand new Halloween theme coming up next week on Beyond the Bell will be featuring one of the scariest superstars of all time, The Undertaker, as we'll cover The Undertaker's most scariest moments in professional wrestling. Stay tuned for this spooky edition of Beyond the Bell. So until next week's Halloween-themed edition, this is your... Video game and ring announcer and party host Sean Beckerman signing off. Until next week, stay 8 bit gaming, my friends. fans want to relive some world-class memories catch the world-class milestone series the history of world-class championship wrestling on beyond the bell your pro wrestling nostalgia podcast on the sns radio network relive 
the world-class milestones from the very beginning to the downfall. Travel back in time now and relive world-class championship wrestling at btbcast.com. 